pay your attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I freaking love non-fiction comics. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, because this show's all about comics, movies, and TV shows. Now, I've got a pretty straightforward schedule for my show, when you think about it. The idea is to do six episodes about anything I want, throw in a a, a seventh episode about Smallville, and finally, have a show dedicated to the DC Paradox Press line of big books. As a matter of fact, I call those episodes... The Big Book Report. Now, as I've said on many occasions, I love nonfiction comics. You see, I think comics can be anything. I mean, yeah, it can be superheroes and all that stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. I dig superheroes, so don't get the wrong idea here, but at the same time, comics can be so much more than just one genre. Make sense? And that's why the line of big books appeals to me so much, but I'm not the only one. Nope. There's another podcaster out there who loves nonfiction comics in the big book series just as much as I do. So, joining me as always is Two True Freaks co-host and former department store Santa, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Merry Christmas. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> oh, my sack is overflowing with all sorts of internet bullshit today. <laughs> well... As always, glad you could make it, uh, because I always have a ton of fun whenever we uh, record together, and this is going to be... I guess this is actually probably as good a moment to get into it as anything. Normally, you and I would blab about another big book in this show, but we're not doing that this time. We're not exactly doing that. You see, Chris and I have a kind of similar interest in the internet as a communications medium but let's face it maybe more importantly as an opportunity for performance art parody and i guess bullshit just generally screwing around yeah yeah a trolling in other words messing with people yes so instead of more big book stuff that's what chris and i have decided to talk about tonight And you might ask why. Why is it that we won't talk about another big book this time around? And the answer to that is actually rather simple. It's fucking Christmas, and he and I both have other things to do. So, Exactly. Besides, when else, 
a- am I going to get the chance to gab about strange, weird, goofy internet bullshit with Chris? Oh, this stuff. At, at, at least two of these stories are fresh stories that just need to be put down. If you know, they'll eventually fade in the into the internet background. But you know, we should put them down in the book of of potential hoaxes and just weird shit for pos- posterity. And you know what? It's actually good that you mentioned that because that was going to be the very next point that I brought up. If you must relate what he and I are about to talk about this show, if you have to tie that back somehow to big books, I think you could half-ass tie this episode back to the big book of hoaxes, wherein Chris and I talked about kind of sort of similar subject matter, but not really. But if you're just determined to make a connection, well, you can call this the Big Book Report Hoaxes Volume 2. Or something. Yeah, like an addendum or... Back in the old days when you'd get magazines in the mail, sometimes they would screw up something or they would have new information and they would send you an actual addendum, you know, a little 10-page add-on to your to your subscription that that fills in something that wasn't there before and that's yeah that these could definitely be made into fun little one-page cartoons maybe maybe in the case of one or two of them you know more than one page one of them was actually i think it was in the big book of the unexplained but one of them has definitely been referenced before but is now an actual update to that story well, and speaking of which, I, you know, I guess my criterion, the one rule I had when you and I were kind of hammering out what we were going to talk about, suppose the big book of hoaxes was published 10 years from now. How likely is it that what you and I were suggesting would be mentioned in that volume? Mm-hmm. And if the answer to that was pretty fucking likely, then to me, it just seemed like yeah. such a natural. Yeah. And honestly, the genesis for this show came from an article that I read at, at the you know, at the time this episode comes out, ages ago, where some chick wrote, I guess what you could say is a modest proposal about how to fix all of the world's problems with, admittedly, some pretty fucking drastic steps, but I'll come back to that later. How it all came about, though, was I posted a link to that story on Facebook, and then after a while, I tagged Chris because, of all people, I figured he'd have an angle on this weirdness. Chris did, and before he and I knew what, you know, what was happening, he and I had kind of fallen ass backwards into the seeds of this show. But basically, it goes like this: this chick who calls herself the Femitheist uh, had this big idea for world peace, which she's calling Femitheism, appropriately enough. And it comes down to castrating and enslaving something to the effect of 90% of all men everywhere well, in the world. Also, well, getting the male population down to about 10% of the population. Exactly that. And she's calling that actually the ratio. Basically, 90% women, 10% men. The idea being, of course, that women can take over as society's primary leaders. The few men who are allowed to live would be treated as this sort of weird, sick combination of slave, sex object, and endangered species, literally for their entire lives. Now, 
not altogether unappealing as a man. <laughs> well, there are elements, but, you know, yeah. any solution this drastic calls for a shitload of social engineering, and the, femin- and the femitheist didn't disappoint. Um, because, basically, she's saying that people would pretty much have to be socially engineered into some degree of homosexuality whether they're inclined to go there or not whether definitely in her world they're gonna have to if they're gonna be having any kind of sexual outlet yeah pretty much beyond the end of their arm (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and honestly i mean the list just goes on from there but my main problem with this chick's proposal is well, honestly, I just don't believe a fucking word of it. And Oh, no. I don't think she's serious. I think this is performance art. I mean, look, maybe I'm naive, but to me, it's easier to think she's just fucking with us than it is to believe that someone's basically advocating varying levels of forced castration, slavery, <laughs> gendercide, and who the fuck knows what else. The, the, the forced castration thing, there was a big uproar about that and she backed off on the the forced castration i guess eventually down the line on her i've watched a few of her videos on on her youtube page and it's worth mentioning okay we were talking about femathe if i heard about femathiest i would picture i would picture kind of like butchy angry woman mm-hmm. this is a chirpy young blonde She's a Reese Witherspoon. Southern Reese, Reese Witherspoon with a very Midwestern slash Southern accent, chirpy cheerleader voice. Yeah. Hi there, you know. Where we get the population of men down to 10%. Hey everyone, my name is Krista, otherwise known as the Phimithius. Some of you may know me from my YouTube account, some of you may know me from my blog, and for some of you this may be the first time you're ever hearing my name at all. Regardless, I'm here to let all of you know, my allies and adversaries alike, that myself, my friends, and my followers are here to reboot the new era of feminism. I'm the overseer of this movement, and I will also be coordinating the events. This time, our movement is about more than just words, it's about actions, about making a difference and redefining the world. It is a proposed global initiative for population reduction, which will, in a few decades, lead to a worldwide male population of roughly 1-10% to 10% for the purpose of peace and prosperity around the world. This population reduction is the only logical long-term solution. Our plan is one of pacification and submission, and many of these short-term solutions are already underway in the Western world, so we are confident in our ambitions. We will be teaming up with members of the well-known organization Rad Film Hub. This time we will not allow ourselves to be distracted or hindered by groups like the men's right movement and the mainstream feminists. They are no concern to us and they will not stand in our way. So to all the people out there who disagree, Paul Ellum, John the other, girl rights what, their friends and followers, you can't stop us and you will not define us, so don't even waste your time. After this week, you will all see an immense increase in the number of supporters and followers for this movement, and I personally can assure you of that. I know for a fact it will happen. We'll also be laying out more specific plans and meeting with our members and affiliated allies in the coming weeks and months. Stay tuned and be aware. And 
at, at certain points that what, what made me instantly go this this is trolling right here is because she was just like there's a lot of feminists out there and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop trying to do her voice but <laughs> she's just saying uh, basically a paraphraser there's a lot of feminists out there who you know are not gonna agree with this and think it would be impossible to implement that but don't worry we've got that under control and it's better for you not to even like get involved with it because it's pointless because we've got it all worked out and and underway and that's when i was just like oh she's just trolling she's just that's just red meat dangling for everybody i think the big question is what angle is she coming from (laughs) that's what i was trying to figure out well and that that actually that part I think I've got covered. I just in her joke. Okay, I'm I'm curious because I have, I have a theory of wh- who I think she is and what I think she's doing, but I'm I'm really curious to see what yours is. Well, just try this on for size. I'm not saying you know adopt it as dogma. Just I, I just hear me out and let me know what you think. One of the things that I've always been most interested in, uh, and I can't say that I'm a student of history or anything like that, but I, I do enjoy history. A lot, as a matter of fact. I like... Well, I say I like. I guess I appreciate propaganda from the angle of what it says about the society to whom it's directed. And I think there... You could... I don't want to go so far as to say you can call it society's Rorschach test. But there is a degree to which I think it kind of says a little something-something about... Oh, sure. And whether or not you believe in communism and, you know, this whole takeover of America that was maybe or maybe not in the works in the 1950s better dead than red and that whole red scare thing Mm -hmm. it played to a lot of America's uh, psychological dark points and I don't necessarily mean that in terms of morality I mean that more I guess in terms of blind spots and and, and again, this, this is not about the truthfulness of it. It's simply about the fact, the reality of it. And one of the things that I've always thought would, would be kind of interesting would be, if this isn't redundant, kind of false propaganda. You, I almost want to call it a trial balloon where you, you float out the most asinine, over-the-top, blatantly fucking... Uh, this is... It, it's just... It, it, it's bullshit. going to take it to the furthest extreme... Of ridiculousness that I possibly can. And then what you do, this is key, keep a list of who takes you seriously. And I mean, takes you seriously from the angle of, okay, now that's an agenda I can get on board with. Not so much the people who are opposing you, because there's always going to be opposition, even if it's token opposition. I mean the people who are adopting your fucking cause. Yes. You know, and you use this to write your fucking college thesis. Yes. Or to advance your career in politics. Fucking whatever you're doing. Or just to get attention because you like attention. And attention actually equals money on YouTube now because a million views can really make you some serious money on, on YouTube. So, and that, and that model of coming out and taking, especially in the world of feminism and race, anything where the emotions run high as to you know and also anywhere where the spectrum really runs from one you know degree of radicalism down but you know it it's just the greatest place to get a lot of attention is is pushing those buttons 
you know, they had the, the woman who's, um, you know, calling out misogyny in video games. And she did it very half-assedly because she didn't have to prove her point. She just had to get on there and make people angry. And she's getting speaking gigs and stuff like that, you know. So it, it can be a career move. It can be... I personally think my theory my um, on, on this woman is... She read, uh, at some point, she read Scum Manifesto by Valerie Solanus, which was an early thing that nobody could tell if it was a piece of Swiftian, you know, over the top satire. It, when it comes down to Valerie Solanus, it was probably, she probably was pretty earnest about what she meant. And she was very, she had a bad life and was very angry at men. She shot Andy Warhol at, at a certain point. Right. And you can see that there's a movie called I Shot Andy Warhol that's really good about that whole incident. But um, I think she read that and was like, aha. But I'm not sure. It, it, it might be a pure attention troll. I think she's got some idea from the name Femitheist, which at the at, at first, since there, and there's just a glut of atheist YouTubers and and posters and, and stuff like that you, you think it's almost an athe- a feminist atheist combination but no it's actually femitheist and um, I think she might be very religious and conservative and is portraying the most what she's parodying feminists you know she's saying this is what if you follow feminist ideology all the way, this is what you're going to get. And seeing where that takes her. I, I think she definitely is searching for attention just from her screen style. But I think she's trying to see, you know, A, it's just bound. To, I mean, when when I went to do a little research on it, there were about at least just right off the top a dozen articles where somebody was like hey look at this or this woman's crazy you know so she was definitely being successful in getting getting her quote unquote message out um and as you listen to her vid- as i was like going through her videos you notice they get milder and milder as they go back in time so as she's get- going further in youtube she's learning more methods on how to get more views and probably the more ridiculous stuff she said the more her view count went up and the more income she made so she was just like hey i'll go for it i i'm i'm maybe overestimating her with that if that's the, if that's her troll that's a brilliant troll that would be a good troll that would be trying to get fem, actual feminists to get on board with you and to to ridicule them and if she was successful it would be a very successful and hilarious troll but that's just my theory well and and you actually kind of ended up shutting down and i don't mean this as a slam but you ended up kind of shutting down that little comment thread that i had going on uh on my facebook because you you pretty much like said this is probably where she got got her idea you dropped the mic and then that was that (laughs) and it was um at one it was at once you know, it kind of reminded me that, yeah, in fact, I was right to think that you'd have an angle on this. But it really cemented my viewpoint that I don't think – and again, I reserve the right to be wrong here. 
But I don't think she really buys this stuff herself. Uh And you know what? Shit, now that I look back on it, you know, how hard would it have been to get her on this fucking show? Why did I not think of this sooner? Mm. But It might not have been that hard. And, you know, let her, uh, you, you know, we, you and I could have had a let segment. Let her do her dance, yeah. Yeah, and then after she's gone, you and I can say, wow, what a fucking loony. Or, man, she's got the greatest scam I've ever heard about. And yeah. I'm, I'm pissed I didn't think of it, you know. Or whatever it was going to be. And, uh, what a shoulda, coulda. But, uh, well, anyway. And so, but that kind of led into a, a conversation that Chris and I had about, I guess, just sort of the miasma of bullshit that... I don't think the internet necessarily started out as – I mean everybody has I think their own kind of personal viewpoint on when the internet's golden age was. But I swear to think you know, there was a time in the mid to late 90s when you could pretty much assume that the anything you find on the internet was striving for scholarly credibility, right? Because the internet – it may be easy to forget about it now, but there was a time when – the internet was kind of the medium that dare not raise its head. Right. And that, I think that was due to, as that was the, from the beginning of the internet to, and I've, I mean, I've seen the evolution in my interaction and use with the internet, is there was a certain point where even access to the internet, you needed somebody who was computer. I needed somebody that was a little more computer literate to figure it all out. And, you know, when you'd have to wait for a, a single page to, and, and then in the late nineties, like you say, when it was really getting going, still the average, it was getting used a lot, but the average user was more computer savvy and more nerd like, you know, by extension. And so, yeah, you got more scholarly stuff. When you got and there were there were early internet pranks and stuff, but they were more um, they, they they were more intellectual because there was nothing to gain from them monetarily, right? As much as there is today, of there's a lot to be gained monetarily from spreading bullshit on the internet these days, and once and as we've learned in all of culture and society, if there's a way to make money spreading bullshit. There's a plenty of people who are ready to utilize it in whatever ways they can, and it's well, out the, of control. Well, the the point that I made, and um, or one of the points that I I made, and I think we both agreed on back in the Big Book of Hoaxes, was that if Andy Kaufman's big problem was that he was kind of coming of age as a uh, media figure in the mid. 70s up through the early 80s and his comedy and his outlook on uh, on what you know what was possible to do it was so far ahead of his time that he was i think virtually impossible to market i don't think yeah. he had a 16th of the career back that he had back then he had a phenomenal he had a phenomenal career for what he did he was it was amazing that you know, and that was only because somehow he got the role of Latka and then got into the mass populace. But even then, when he got in the mass populace, he lost a lot of Latka fans, you know. That's true. <laughs> when it started getting to wrestling women and and Tony Clifton and stuff, he, he lost, you know, they, they, they were lost again. It's That stuff is only now, his, his comedy is only now fully embraced into if even fully 
Well, but, my my angle was that he would own YouTube. I mean, to oh me, God. YouTube personalities, if he was alive today and just starting to hit it big, there would be exactly two groups of people on YouTube. You'd have Andy Kaufman, and then there'd be everybody else. Yeah. He would be fucking huge. There, there, we don't have a word for what he would be, I think. He could be out there trolling, though. <laughs> well, and, and that is, yeah. There's several, there's several times where I could have very possibly, not that I've ever been suspicious of interacting with Andy Kaufman, but I've been in several places of internet turmoil and stuff where, uh, you, you know, it, it, he could, you know, yeah, it would be his world. It would be his world to dominate. Yeah, and uh, that's, I don't know, I think that uh, it, it's, uh, technology has basically so completely, I think, redefined not just human interaction and all these other things, but I guess mass entertainment to the degree that I don't think there is such a thing anymore as mass entertainment. I think every kind of entertainment going specifically because of the internet now has got to be niche. All right. And, and it almost feels like we're kind of getting off topic as to what we should be talking about. But I, I, I kind of feel like I got to make this point that I saw just to kind of give you an idea of, you know, what comedy has become these days. There was, I saw this YouTube video of, uh, I forget his name now, the clapper or the high fiver. It's something like that. But what he does is he and his buddy, they wander around the streets of Manhattan and people hold out their hands to hail a cab. And so what he does is he walks by, jumps up in the high fives. Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? And it's so funny how people respond to that. But when you think about it, it's pretty one note and you couldn't really do that when Probably the most daring thing on television was laughing or candid camera or something like that. There's no market for something like that. How the hell do you sell something like that? Because it's stupid. But you can put something like that on YouTube and get half a half a million clicks in one month. And it's next thing you know, I mean, for this stupid fucking retarded idea that you had, now you're actually monetizing this thing and you've actually got like some kind of income coming from it for something yeah. that's that's so stupid You're on the one the hand. Clapper t-shirts, you know. Yeah, and you even here's here's the fucking scary part. Copycats, yeah. people who are going around their cities who are high fiving people who are hailing cabs there, and and now you before you know it, before you even know what what's what's going on. You started a national fucking trend over the dumbest thing, but that, I don't know about you. I laugh every time I see that video, and I don't know why. It's not funny, but it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And there is no mass media. Any, uh, I guess this is the point. There is no. Jeez, I'm so. Well, there's. You know, when you get into vague category or you know general categories, there's mass media. Like, video games are mass media. Video games are make more money than movies. Uh, but video games are just a collection. There's some, there's uh, just like music. There's always going to be some super mega stars or super mega sellers. But nowadays the niche works because the niche is worldwide instead of just, you know, local, local niche was you could find maybe three or four or five people and form a club and meet every week and stuff like this. And now you can have, a, a club meeting online on the most obscure topic and have hundreds of people who are potentially interested or 
thousands or tens of thousands, depending how far, far away from, you know, how less of a specific niche it is. Right. Because you're dealing with the, you know, what is it? The, the billions of people on earth, what are we, three or four billion? Something like that. Something like that. You know, so, so all of a sudden niche can be enough number, enough people to generate enough money to, you know, justify it being something that people pay attention to or put somewhere to be paid attention to. Yeah. And going back to, um, uh, Andy Kaufman, you know, the idea of him having this sort of secret identity or alter ego, I guess is maybe the better way to put it of Tony Clifton on the one hand and then Andy Kaufman on the other. And I, I, I always got the idea that as far as his jokes and his humor is concerned, one of his most famous and yet least popular, if that makes any sense, gags that he had going. And I mean, but the guy, he was his own, I guess he was just a, a sort of performance art machine. Mm-hmm. So um, now you mentioned earlier that you had something to say about Tony there, Clifton. There is, yeah, and and this is a few months old now. By the time you're hearing it, but just today I was reading about it, and of course this interview comes from the New York Post, so take it with a grain of salt. But at the same time, it's an interview, so it's basically just a plug for an upcoming book by Bob Zamuda, who also plays Tony Clifton and was like. Um, you know, he would play he would play um, Andy Kaufman's lawyer when he was wrestling women. And he was basically his head writer, um, um, co-writer, partner. And um, he's coming out with a book basically claiming that Andy Kaufman had been planning to to amongst a few friends or at least laying down his, you know, theoretical plan of how he was going, you know, his ultimate prank would be to to die and then come back after an inordinate amount of time you know he's like one or two years wouldn't be good it would have to be 20 or 30 years and apparently everybody who he'd said anything to it about it were completely against it and thought it was just a horrible thing to do to everybody and just not a good idea but um uh, zamuda was talking about how you know at one point he could tell Andy was just like starting to try out a cough and Zamuda's like, you really think that's going to, that he's like, that's just way too obvious. You really think people are going to fall for it? And Andy's like, I don't know. People seem to be buying it right now. And, uh, he claims that Andy was, you know, went and visited a guy who had the, the same type of cancer, the lung cancer that he claimed to have and then emulated that guy's look and, all that, and then he claims after that he didn't want. He was like, "Look, I don't want anything to do with it." And Andy said, "Look, you can't say anything. You know, give me 20, 20, 30 years, and then I'll be coming back. So then, you know, give me twenty, thirty years." And Zamuda said, "Okay." And it's been thirty years. So, and but also thirty years is a good point to write a book. And Bob Zamuda is also Andy Kaufman's writing partner and collaborator, so he can't be trusted on. A single goddamn thing, you know, just like Andy Kaufman. But it's, I mean, it's such an attractive idea. I remember when he died being, you know, there there was a, I remember being like talking to uh, my mother's boss, who was a big Andy Kaufman fan. I'm like, 
you realize he's not dead, that this is just a, a gag. And he's like, look, you know, I know you want to real think that that's the way it is, but it's, you know, it's sad. He's dead. And then I was thinking, yeah, I under, and I thought to myself, I understand that, you know, I under, I understand that you think that I'm like in, in grief and in denial stage, but something stank, you know, something, the bullshit detector is just going, deet, 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 deet. and I remember thinking to myself, if he goes into hiding, he can't do it for just a little while because everybody will be like, ah, I told you so. He's got to do it for decades. And then I remember thinking to myself, you know, he he really would do that. He seemed to be the kind of person that would commit 100% to an idea, a crazy idea, you know. And you, he didn't have to be a big guy or, you know, especially strong guy or anything. You just have to commit to a crazy idea, which most people are not. The vast majority of people are not willing to do with their when especially when it involves, you know, your entire life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that especially something like faking your own death. And I, I know somebody who faked his own death. I don't know him really well. I've met him, but he was a really good friend of my girlfriend at the time, faked his death for about two weeks she's still that this was over 20 years ago she's only just talking to the guy now (laughs) (laughs) she was mad because i mean she was in tears you know for days you know he was a good friend of hers and he had to he couldn't tell anybody and she's like why didn't you you know why didn't you tell me and he's like that's what everybody says i couldn't tell anybody and uh he did it just for laughs He's the only one laughing, I guess. Yeah, a lot of people didn't appreciate it, but he was a subgenius. So there were a lot of subgeniuses who totally were into it, you know. But the but the people who knew him really personally like and knew him his real name and not his subgenius name and actually cared about him were really really upset because they had it in their mind that he was dead. And so I Imagine it would be the same for for Andy Kaufman too, but after twenty or thirty years, I disagree. I I don't think it would be that way I, because we have a way of for his family and friends and stuff. I think the, oh, absolutely, the, like, yeah. But I mean, like for the unwashed, basically the public, for the unwashed masses, I think there's a certain number of people out there would say Andy, who? Oh, you mean the guy yeah. from the REM song? But then there is a there are people like you and me who know exactly who that guy is. We would give that guy a standing fucking ovation everywhere we go. The only yeah yeah the only thing that I don't that I always kind of wondered about as far as like you know did Kaufman fake his death and all that stuff. The only thing about that that I that I've ever wondered about is he he's not the most distinctive looking guy in the whole world. Or at least he wasn't back in you know his heyday. Right. You, know, you could lose that face in a crowd. I could totally see it. Oh but yeah. Even that, I kind of had to wonder. Okay, here's Where here's what go? I use with Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Think of, remember Meathead in the way uh, I'm trying to remember that the director's name. Uh, not I, Ivan Reitman. Um, yeah. I know you're talking about. Um, Back in the Archie Bunker days when he was a skinny, hippie guy. And now look at him. That's what I would picture Andy Kaufman could do. You know, put on a lot of weight, put a different haircut on, and he'd just look like a lumpy middle-aged guy. 
maybe not obese like that guy, but you know, put on put on some middle age weight, and he would just look like Joe at the supermarket, and he could he could would be the guy he could work at a supermarket and have a little apartment and be totally happy. I'm sure. He used to be a busboy when he was working on taxi. He used to work a busboy job at a diner. And he was recognized too. Uh, yeah, but he would like just the ignore people. He would do his job. And yeah, and I, I, the stories I, I I've heard, you know, the sources that there are for that, I tend to trust. Um, I don't question them on that. It seemed like at, there was a point in his life when he maybe he might have been into that. I don't know, but uh, he he wanted to do it. His reasoning was that it. May, it, he always wanted to remember that you know he was always an inch away from that, and that he he didn't want to feel like a celebrity. He wanted to feel like a guy who worked at a at a as a busboy at a deli. You know, he, he wanted to be more in that that class of people. He was one of those people. I'm telling you, he just I know all. I I'm one of those people. You get an idea, and it, that's it. You know, and he, and you get a little idea about something, and you get, and eventually you have to do it because otherwise you're going to go crazy. So he would sit around thinking like, I'm getting famous on Taxi. I can't lose t- touch <clears throat> with the common man. How could I do that? I could go hang out with the common man, but I'll just be another fake Hollywood guy. He's like, you know, he's like, no, I've got to actually go and do a job and, you know, and, and, and do that, you know. So I, and when he would, when he would work, you know, his boss was like, he's one of the best workers we ever had. He just comes in and puts his head down and, and, and moves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally, I would, I, if, if I had an, if I was famous enough, you, it would not be beyond me to fake my death <laughs> for 20 or 30 years. It would be so awesome. Well, and it's, it's awesome. 20 or 30 years of anticipation of just like, Oh my God. <laughs> well, and, and you know, let's face it. There is a, there is a core part of his audience. He always knew how long to string out a joke. You know, Andy Kaufman, he always had a very, what was really funny and what his fans like his like most avid fans, he knew what they responded to, and he always knew exactly when to start and when to when to wrap it up. And if he really did fake his death, the reason he's still in hiding is because they wouldn't have reacted as well to him faking his death and then coming back mm-hmm. five years later. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be as funny. Ten years he's later, he's a showman. Yeah, he he, he wants. He wants to put on the best show of all. So if you're gonna uh, possible, so if you're gonna fake your death, d- really do it. Make them make everybody think you're dead and gone. You know. And there's even been a couple, and I think we might have discussed this before. Maybe I've discussed it on another show, but there've been a, uh, at least two that I remember. There was like around 2001, 2002. There was an announcement that Andy Kaufman was going to come back. Uh, you know what? It was probably around his, the 20th anniversary of his disappearance that he had contacted this, you know, it was like a... Holy shit, I remember that. I remember yeah, that and, story. 
and they called it he he sent them instructions and and recordings and was going to have a news and wanted them to do a news conference and they put on this news conference and the recordings were like and the the um stuff that they had to read was just rambly weird stuff about how he couldn't be there and say it was very it just seemed really fake and not well put together and like the people who were doing it weren't really sure what they were were like okay we'll set all this stuff up and it ended up in nothing It, it, it went absolutely nowhere and that could have been something he set up just to make people go like, oh, maybe, he'll, oh, no, it's just a load of bullshit. And uh, then there was just a couple, within the last year or two, there was one of his relatives, there's a annual tribute to him in New York City, and one of his, like his niece spoke and said that the good news was she'd been in contact with Andy Kaufman and he was going to... Uh, you know, she'd, she'd actually met him and that he was going to come back, you know, that he told her it was okay to tell everybody he was still alive and that he was fine, but he was happy with his his life now. And then they found out really quickly that she was a hired actress. <laughs> and so, you know, but at the same time, in a tribute to Andy Kaufman, of course that would be something you'd want to pull. And people were like doing the like, but she was good. And... And his brother was there, and his brother was, you know, vouching for her authenticity and stuff. So people were getting kind of teary-eyed and like, oh, could this be real? And and so it's it's one of those things well, where the boy who cries wolf has been put on so many steroids that you just until somebody's testing his DNA. <laughs> You're never going to know till somebody's like pulls one of his hairs out and takes it to the lab. Even then, who knows? But well, one thing I always kind of not worried about, but sort of wondered about what if, right? Just put this in the background for just a minute. What if he really did fake his death back in 1980, whatever it was, right? And, you know, heads off into obscurity. He's working as a busboy somewhere again where nobody knows him. Probably not the South, let's face it. And then tragedy strikes. He sure. really does die of natural causes. and Heart everyone, attack or something. Yeah, and he, now he's just some unidentified nobody. And so he gets, he gets buried under the wrong fucking name. I mean, there's a sense in which the poetic justice there is so much funnier than him actually coming back. Yeah. You know, this punchline that he always intended to give but never could. That is, I hate to say it because we're talking about somebody dying, but that is actually kind of fucking funny. But at the same time, he would probably appreciate the humor of it, too. And at the same time, even if he doesn't get to complete the prank, he gets to live two complete, you know, two completely different lives. He had a life as Andy Kaufman became rich and famous, world famous, died and now has a life as who knows what who knows what he's doing you know i mean i'm not sure what other what things he's qualified to do besides manual labor and entertaining people i guess he told zamuda at some point that he could would always 
be interested in being like a birthday clown and he would name himself something stupid like Zany the Clown and would just do straight up, you know, kids' birthday shows, which he would probably do really well. <laughs> He'd probably be a really good birthday clown and could make a lot of money and, you know, uh, so somewhere in the Midwest in suburbia, this is not much of a chance anybody's going to think Zany the birthday clown under all that makeup Sandy Kaufman. That would be the greatest thing, though, if at your child's birthday it, w- it was Andy Kaufman. Right, <laughs> you never yeah. even do it. <laughs> now, uh, you know, to kind of move on to other internet bullshit, one of the things that I'm not completely springing this on Chris, but I, he and I didn't exactly talk too much about before we started recording just now. One of my favorite internet hoaxes of all time, and I think maybe the guy that, at least for me, kind of popularized the idea of getting online and trolling people and just kind of fucking with them a little bit. This person never existed, all right? But his, uh, I guess the name he wrote under online was Hardcore Billiam. And you can go to hardcorebilliam.com. Oh, my God, Yes. And I don't know about you, I follow this guy's exploits like a fucking crack addict. Because this guy... He was like a white guy that talked black, right? He yeah. talked really like, yeah, like bad black street talk. Yeah. And it's just made to infuriate everybody. I, I, I remember just obnoxious. And the whole thing is, it was all a put on. It, oh, yeah. It, he never... And the thing is, you know, uh, the guy that supposedly murdered him was his be- was this guy's this troll's real life best friend, and the whole thing is it's bullshit. But yeah, people bought I, into it. And I it was- remember there was something where some girl like met up with him, and you know he's uh, he was also very sexually boastful, and that she finally met up with him, and he was literally you know like mom's basement type guy. I don't know if he was actually living in his mom's base, but he was, you know, just sort of a little internet guy, you know, socially awkward internet guy that didn't know what to do with a girl, but was great as, <laughs> as Billiam. <laughs> yeah. And oh, he it, had people ready to string him from the lamp posts. And he did. And the thing is that what made it work for me was that, we all know somebody, or at least have seen people who are what this guy pretended to be, you know, right. a bunch of real-life billiams. And the thing that made it work was there was this air of plausibility to it that somebody really is this fucking obnoxious. He was turned up to 12. But yeah, you could have some... And you think when... Well, you think. You see the guy on the street when he gets onto the internet... He's going to be even more, you know, hyperbolic than and exaggerated. So, yeah, it was very plausible that he could be a real guy just walking around texting on his phone. I don't care what you all think, you know, and fuck you all, blah, blah, blah. And just like watching the hits pile up. I mean, that's what it is. Most of the time, it's mostly some little nerd who's come up with a character and just like hit the right character. And all of a sudden it blows up. And there was a, uh, and you know, the thing is there is such a thing as a side gag. So it doesn't really work to read what this guy would post online, but 
like to the degree that it can be read out loud, he would write stuff like Diz shit is da bomb. I loves Disney Disneyland so much. Love is for mommies and puppy dogs on and Disneyland, you know? And we've all met people who really fucking talk that way. Yes. Just these well, it's these idiots. so ridiculous and idiotic what he's saying there that it makes it more plausible because you think, nah, you can't write that shit. <laughs> but apparently you, you can. But you can. It's genius. Yeah. It turns out, no, he was actually a writing genius, you know, whether or not he was a literary genius or not. He was a master of writing, writing dialogue that made people convincing dialogue <laughs> whether and, it be horrible miss and that's another thing it was if you if you are anybody who cares about the english language and spelling and and pronunciation and and punctuation it was just every word was a minefield it was and you know i in a weird kind of way, I almost because we're talking about you know the fake death of a fictional person who never existed in the first right. place, and it kind of feels like that's sort of like the worthy companion piece to Andy Kaufman's possible faked uh, death, right? Yeah. And, oh, I mean that's the thing is right now there's there's hundreds of Andy Kaufmans that have happened on the internet, you know, uh, already, you know, people who's who've had fake. And had them killed off, or or disappeared, or moved away. Yeah, the, that movie Catfish was basically about that, you know. Hmm. Whether they're doing it for entertainment, some people do it for romance, you know. But yeah, there's. I I mean, that's 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 what's killing Facebook right now. Is Facebook is is trying to clamp down on on keeping everybody with a real with their real name and their real identity. And yeah, um, people are not buying it as much anymore and are not happy with that. Yeah, and you know what? The, the, to tell you how much the worm has turned on that, I remember there was a time when it was actually very fashionable on Facebook to bash the crap out of MySpace, mm -hmm. specifically for the fact that MySpace, for those of you who may not remember, would let you use whatever name or handle or whatever you wanted. Yep. And they had no rule about that. The rule was there is no rule. Yeah. And the rule they on did that on purpose because of Friendster. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with the whole saga of Friendster and Jonathan Abrams and um, Arthur Ratnick and the hoaxsters and all this stuff, you really need to do yourself a favor and track down. I forget the fucking episode number, but it was. Um, uh, two True Freaks Storytellers. And I think it might have been the first Storytellers. Oh, oh, the first one? Okay, well. It might be the first. There's only like three or four of them, so it's one, it just go in the Storytellers section. You'll see it. Well, all of the Storytellers episodes, honestly, are worth listening to because they're all freaking hysterical. But that um, won't be your friend on, on Facebook thing, which is all about Friendster and whatnot. And five minutes is spent on, on Facebook. But... Uh, that is you, – you need to understand that was really what Facebook was sort of a – or MySpace was kind of a reaction to. And then I think there's a sense in which Facebook to some degree kind of was a reaction to MySpace. But there was a point when people were on board with that agenda. Well, the the, the reason that um, MySpace I, – I was invited onto MySpace when they had 3,000 people 
by Tom. If anybody remembers MySpace, Tom would be your first friend. And he was an actual person that you could talk to for a while before MySpace got big. And Tom came to a group of of, uh, the fakesters from Friendster and said, look, you know, we're starting up a social network. We're going to let people do what we want over there. You should come check it out. And we were like, oh, okay. And we all went over there. There were like 3,000 people there. But then eventually, you know, it filled up and then it was a functional. But they let people do what they want. They let people do what they wanted right to to the point of where it killed them. Because you could add HTML to your page. So everybody's page, not everybody's, but when the masses hit it and you had your teenagers and stuff on there and preteens and you would have everybody would figure out how or find a program that would doll up their MySpace page. So you'd open up someone's MySpace page and there'd be glitter falling from the roof and and scrolling things going on and it was just garish and and ridiculous and there were eight billion bands spamming you trying to make you listen to their crappy music and i remember my friends who the first adopters of facebook were like we really should try out facebook or you should really they joined facebook they're like you should really join it's like myspace but you know people can't fuck up their pages it's just not as annoying and people aren't pestering you it's it's more of an adult mature place to to actually social network on and at that point i was not i did not like facebook at all because it was invitation only and it was kind of snotty about it and it originally was supposed to be just for college kids and of course but though when you know tens of millions of people start crowding on you start thinking well we'll be for whatever they want it to be and uh what Facebook did that no, that MySpace didn't do and Friendster didn't do is Facebook was able to make money. And they were able to make money by being sleazy, by selling people's information. And uh, there's there's the, you know, debatably sleazy or not, like, oh, they sell ads and stuff. I don't mind them making a living by providing a service. I think that's reason, a reasonable expectation. I think, it, you know... It's nice to have social networks that everybody can use for free, but when you're spending millions and millions of dollars on server farms, you know, and adding to them daily to keep your website going, you got to have money coming in. And they figured out how to get money, and I think they got a little too greedy about it and to, to the point of where the users are feeling overtaxed and overstimulated and annoyed by it and and poked in on and what i love is about until about a year ago all i would get for having a fake name on facebook was you're a coward because you don't want to you don't want to be who you are and have people you know who i am but i don't know who you are and blah 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 and i'd be like hey that's your own fault (laughs) but um that I, i you don't hear that much anymore there used to be there used to be people who were calling for having people with fake names taken off of Facebook because they didn't trust them, they didn't like them, you know, they didn't know what they were up to, whatever. Um, that's changed. <laughs> well, and, it, and it has. And the thing that always kind of caught me right between the eyes was not the fact that it changed, how freaking quickly it changed. Yeah. I mean, it was almost overnight. Yeah. I remember posting stuff on, on... I love being right. 
Yeah, well, and I remember posting stuff on on Facebook saying, um, you know, every for those of you who don't know, there is very little truth, very little truth, in my my little profile there, you know. And just to kind of read you a little bit of it, I don't want to sit here and read you my Facebook because talk about boring, but just to kind of give you a sample, uh, it says that the first job I ever had was at the Big Kahuna Burger where I was a senior food delivery coordinator from January 1994 to December of 1996. And then I worked at LexCorp, and then there was the Acme Corporation. Wait, none of that happened? Yeah. No, it's all... And the the whole idea is... Demonzo's going to be pissed when he finds that out, man. We'll just keep that a secret. Well, the thing, the way I always saw it, I kind of assumed that Dufo kind of knew about all of that going in. He always had my real portfolio, and he maybe rolls with it whenever I talk about yeah. you know my previous job experience. But it's just this joke between the two of us. He knows the truth, I know the truth, and we don't need to actually get into that. That's what I like to tell myself anyway. So. <laughs> but you know, the point is, I always kind of thought it was a little bit foolish to want to trust this nameless, faceless corporate entity with the most private and intimate details of your life. Look, I don't mind, you know, uh, putting up there that, you know, I, you know, who I'm truly dating, because there is a sense in which that's kind of inescapable. But other things, you know, no, I didn't go to school at Bovine University. I mean, you know, and it, but it blows my mind that you know, I could go to several different Facebook friends right now, go to their page, and I could get their actual cell oh phone numbers. God. Think about that. Their cell phone numbers. Yeah. That's no, fucked uh, up. I, I remember the points in time where not having a cell phone number was really funny when I would try to try to um, sign into to Facebook and it would say, hey, can you give us your cell phone? We don't have your cell phone number. Give us your cell phone number so we can confirm your ident- identification. And then I would uh, go through the pain in the ass clicks to not do that and then go on to Facebook. But then I would wonder how many people were just like, oh, fuck, and would just were so eager. They're hooked on it. It's, it's, it's a delivery system of endorphins and people want to get on there and do their shit and respond to the responses to the stuff that they have tagged and they'll so they'll cough up their phone number that's that's an insane <laughs> thing to give to a faceless corporation you give facebook your it, even when they're saying stuff like you know even when they have it in your contract or whatever which if you read your contract they also have lots of basically they could take everything but even if they said, you know, oh, which a lot of places will say, we don't use any of this information, we don't sell any of it, that doesn't mean they don't. That just means they don't do it above the board. And if you're thinking that that it's, you know, that's not something they would do under the table, then you're being really naive. Okay, well, for, well, for the moment, let's just assume, I don't buy it, but let's for the moment, let's assume that Facebook, Inc., doesn't sell the information. Okay, fine. I will grant you that. I don't believe it, but for the sake of right. argument, I will grant you that. What about Bob Smith, who who uh, maintains their server farms? He's got access right. to this shit. Is he not selling it? We're talking about millions of. Well, I don't know about what that. About but- Sergey Selenikov in Russia, who who doesn't work for anybody, but no, but is 
knows how to hack on to you don't shit you don't even have to hack on to facebook you can just go and read people's profiles and start compiling information to sell the people right but that's not yeah. time efficient but yeah, I, yeah. I i get your point though and i guess my you know my my real answer look the way i see it playing out is this you, if you, you get their you, phone numbers, it's time efficient. <laughs> that's true. And actually, you know what? Someone actually jumped my shit one time because I put a fake number up there. And I'm surprised that I've never been called on this by Facebook, but people have called me out on this, that I didn't put my real phone number up there. And it blows my mind that people looked at this number and ever thought it was real. But it, the phone number is 281-555-1212. So it's information. Basically. And you know what the thing is? I promptly deleted those people off my Facebook because I don't <laughs> I don't associate with idiots. So, but, yeah, Darwin style, yeah. Yeah, and I, I didn't intend it to be, to, you know, to kind of be a, a sifter of stupidity, but that's kind of what it became. Hey, sometimes, sometimes you got to roll with it. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. Gift horses and mouth. But, you know, you threw down the gauntlet in your um, won't be your Facebook friend episode. Where you said that you know uh, Facebook is going to come crashing down in a heaping ruin, and it's going to be because of this, 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 and this. All right, now oh, I got to re-listen to this sucker. <laughs> well, because that's coming. The time is coming, man. Well, it's coming soon, and it's going to be December when they're listening to this. So that's when my predict. That should be about when my predicted Time Magazine, the death of Facebook question mark cover comes out. Well, the and actually, it's kind of funny because you know how close we are to that even now. But the I don't know, and, and you know what? What you, that little scenario that you outlined sounds totally believable. What I'm going to say though is that the precursor to that, we're already starting to see that Facebook is starting to become militant mm -hmm. about using real information, and there are certain things that I'm sorry they have no way to verify. Right? They don't know for sure that I am not the regional integration director at Inatech, they have no way to know that, all right? But they do probably know that my name is not actually Trentus Magnus and that I've never used the legal title His Excellency before. But right. there's going to come a point when they will get so hard. I mean, they're going to make... Oh, yeah. All of this is going to make what Jonathan Abrams used to do. They're going to make him look like a... Jonathan a, Abrams had four people, you know, to fight us when we were fighting him. This guy is, this guy is, a, this is a different beast. They have not crushed net neutrality. If net neutrality was done right now, I wouldn't be so sure that Facebook was going away because Facebook could just figure out where people were going and crush them, crush their bandwidth by giving money to... The the um, that's why net neutrality is so important because in this situation right now it's Elo is seems to be the one that's trying to to s jump in and say hey look we're not gonna ask for we're not gonna ask for any information you don't have to give us anything you don't want to and we're not gonna sell it and blah 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 and a lot of people are talking about that and if there was no net neutrality right now then you know, Zuckerberg would be able to just pay Time Warner and Comcast and say, hey, look, throttle down Elo's bandwidth. And then everybody who uses Elo goes, this sucks. It takes five minutes to load up the page and and just do that to every bit of competition you have. And they would have no way of 
paying, you know, paying for their their bandwidth through Com- Comcast um, because they would just not have the billions of dollars that Zuckerberg has. So, but he can't do that right now. So I'm thinking if I were him, what I would be doing is I'd be trying to sell it. <laughs> and that would actually be my move as well. But what I see happening. That's usually what they do. What, yeah, what I see happening is that Zuckerberg or whoever from Facebook is going to become so hardcore that they're going to make Jonathan Abrams look like Mr. Frickin' Rogers. <laughs> basically, yeah. You know, uh, you know, Jonathan Abrams. By comparison, he, you know, he's going to seem like, in retrospect, he's he, uh, he, he's going to seem like he was so ecumenical and moderate and easygoing. That's how scorched earth I think Facebook is eventually yeah. going to be forced to get because the whole nature of social networking, this – I think it's – I don't know as I want to be pretentious about it and call it the dirty little secret of social networking. But I think the kind of uncom- – like the inconvenient truth of it is that social media ri- – uh, social networking rises and falls on um, novelty. You know, what's the next yes. big thing? You know, and – for a long time, Facebook's primary competition, I think, was Twitter. But we're getting to a point... Still is. And a lot of people are going from using Facebook to using Twitter all by itself now. Or, I, or moving to Twitter. Yeah, I honestly, I don't, I don't know how realistic that's going to be. As, like, I, that's gonna I, be I the, agree with you on that. I, I, Twitter has no attraction for me either. And I'm a troublemaker, so I should love I should love the idea of Twitter, but I just it doesn't. It's just you. It's almost like speaking a different fucking language. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I I don't feel like I I should have like a I don't know a, like a master's degree in leet just so I can follow this shit. So that's just the way that I feel about it. But one way or the other, not because they're necessarily being mismanaged, although there's that. Facebook is going to basically collapse into the fact that they're yesterday's news. And in the world of social networking, I think that's all it takes. You know, I, I mean, yep. Uh, Friendster, it, and it happens a, fast. It does. It, I'm, but Friendster had an assist. MySpace, they kind of had an assist, but mostly I think from mismanagement. I think MySpace could have been a contender. It's just yes. that just the 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 dev aspect of it was just so poorly fucking thought out where they were introducing these tools that weren't even beta like these new blogging tools and stuff like that that weren't mm-hmm. even freaking beta but it tied in with some fucking movie that was coming out so damn it we got to get it out the door mm-hmm. i think myspace uh, uh it basically it it had an assist Facebook, I think, is going to be the first social network that dies of natural causes, and this is what it looks like. You know, it starts off as being, you know, fun, and then it turns. And I don't know when it happens, but the worm turns, and you all of a sudden see that this isn't Mr. Nice Guy who's running the show at Facebook. Yep. This guy, this is the kind of person that really scares me, like the kind of, the kind of guy that we're all afraid someday might somehow have like real political power. Well, yeah, cuz he's making so much money and he is that that's the difference between him he and he is stronger than Jonathan Abrams. Jonathan Abrams was Jonathan Abrams was a little pansy sissy boy. I'm I, I'm sorry if I offended the pansy sissy boys out there, but he was a little girly boy. 
he was he was if i ever see him in this, i don't want to even get into <laughs> yelling at jonathan abrams but he but compared to to zuckerberg He's yeah, he's he he couldn't take he could not take the heat. Zuckerberg and he was not ruthless enough. Zuckerberg's a ruthless bastard. He's he just has that baby face kid look that that makes him seem just like, you know, and there and there's always that hey, the youth youthful entrepreneur computer web guy, you know, they're 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 hip and they're blah blah. No, he's just a ruthless. He's looking for the money. And uh, he's he's not going to go without a fight. It's just going to be interesting. I don't think he can fight. So I'm, you know, if I were him, I'd be just trying to think of what the most, you know, graceful exit strategy would be and, and what the next way I could scam money is. But, yeah, people and people are feeling that. I mean, the you know, it's... the. It's been a long tradition of, with the news media, the mass media, that um, especially in the nonfiction news sort of newspapers, TV, whatever, that fear and anger and strong emotions sell, you know, and sex and violence and, and all that sells really well. And sugar and spice and everything nice don't really sell too well, at least compared to, to the negative stuff. And I think he realized that I think that was what is eventually going to speed the death of Facebook, because there's only so long that people can, you know, a lot of time after after a few years, people were thinking, well, all this conflict on Facebook, what I'll do is I'll just block the people who are fighting and stuff. But it just spread to almost everybody. So almost everybody on their feeds had some sort of conflict going on and and I'm sure got involved in conflicts of their own. And Facebook is made to do that. It's set up to pull out the most vain uh, aspect of us, the most um, ready, ready to fight about something, whether we know anything about it or not. It's just a... It, it, if somebody says something, hang under its little box that says comment. So it's it's and that's sort of the main mode of communication. There is say something and try to get people to comment on it. And you hear people talking about their comments and you know the currency of how many views and likes and comments they got and stuff like that. So there there are people who put up comments because they want us. They feel good if they get a lot of whether it's positive or negative attention it doesn't matter <laughs> but if you get a lot of comments under it and it's a popular thread and and or you get a lot of likes or something that makes them it makes people feel really good and that cycle is only going to go for so long before people start getting sick of it and want to just like can we just use this to conduct our daily business you know put up pictures of my kids and you know well, and there's actually another angle there. There's well, uh, let me rephrase that. There's another element there. Everything that you just said is totally 100% true, but now there's also something that's inflaming. I guess the authoritarian aspects of Facebook, and that is when you go to YouTube, the profit, the profit model there kind of speaks for itself. You yes. go to Amazon. The profit model is self-evident. eBay, yeah. 
same thing. Netflix, same yeah. thing. Facebook, it's it's harder to do that. And the reason is because the whole nature of communication, people sharing ideas, especially in text form, it inherently wants to be free. And so yes. And so what Facebook has, I think, unwisely attempted to do, I don't know if they're still so much pushing it now, but at least at one point what they were pushing was the idea of promoting, paying to promote oh, no, that's, your own. And a lot of people are actually um, – I, I work at a restaurant that has a Facebook page and uh, – you know, if you don't, they, they want to put up a picture of the special and they can post it up. The only people are, who will see it are people who like your pictures a lot. It won't send it to all the people who like that page. They make you spend five, ten bucks to to send it out to the masses. And they'll send it out to a few extra people, too, for some extra money. And, it, and think about how counter-fucking-intuitive that is to the way that this stuff is done. On the I can see what they're trying to do, but yeah, it is. It's completely. It's that yeah. genie's already been let out of the bottle of as far as doing that for free. At the same time, you you do want to keep a certain lid on the amount of people who use Facebook as a pure commercial for their business. You know that becomes that that will drive your your users away too. So they got to figure out a balance with it. Personally, my if I was doing it, I would not allow people to have their business as a as a page on it just to just so they would leave people alone. Well, right, but you know the the model of the internet has been to pay content producers mm-hmm. and charge content consumers. Facebook has it completely fucking backwards, where the the users are the content producers. Right, and you don't charge, and at least in a sane and rational world, you don't charge the content producers for producing and then sharing content online. You see, I think, I think, for if you're gonna have, I think of Facebook as it's not visually as trashy as MySpace, but as far as advertising goes. It's pure trash. Oh my God! There, there's no comparison. Okay. Facebook so, is ugh, it's a right. Wasteland. It's 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 that it's pure Las Vegas garish advertising in your face. So and it's making money hand over fist, and it's it it panders to the lowest common denominator of human you know, not human beings, but the the you know the lowest parts of all human beings, and if you're gonna do that then what you should do is you should pay the people to be on it. And you're not probably not going to have to pay them very much. People would just be happy to get paid. But basically, I mean, here's, here's the thing. And it's, I think you've, and most people, everybody vastly underestimates how much our information is getting sold. And like, in like YouTube and, uh, eBay and stuff, they have a very straightforward model, but I don't, I don't, I'm very suspicious. I totally would believe that they're selling my information also under the table or in some sort of obscured way. So it's legal in, you know, but you know, I have, I have almost 99% positive 
feelings that they're probably selling some part of my information. All of them are. And that it's a huge thing and it's it's huge amounts of money. So if you're going to have something trashy where you have to look at a lot of ads and everybody's fighting and it's all just stupid memes getting posted up, pay pay people according to how much they post and how much time they spend on there, you know, and how many likes they get and stuff like that because you're making money off all that too. And you could spread a very small proportion portion of it around to everybody and really probably only if you know a few dollars here and there would people would be like oh yeah i'm using facebook they pay you to be on there then it would get worse there'd be more ads it would basically be strobing in your face at all times but if that's the way you're gonna go that's the way i think you should do it and then you would be guaranteed to have people on there and you would have all the people who want to fight and want to um start stir controversy or get attention and they could all go over there and the and people can and those are going to be like your consumers anyway so i would think they would be a good advertising demographic i agree Um, whoever whatever replaces facebook it's just going to be another cycle of like It'll be really nice and everybody will be just like, all right, this works really good and they'll get excited about it and it'll get huge and, you know, like LO is like, we're not going to sell this, we're not going to sell that, but that's the people who own LO now. Once once millions of people start dropping in there, their plan might be to sell it to some investor for investment firm for you know 50 million dollars or some or some stupid record trillions amount of dollars like some websites get and then they all retire and then and then investment corp can can uh, decide whether they want to (laughs) keep everybody's information private or not you know and uh, and once you get enough people there, you almost have them for a certain amount of time because people don't want to keep migrating to and setting up different profiles and stuff. They want to use, and you'll start seeing it now. There's you'll see the people who want to use Facebook forever and they don't want it to go away ever ever. And they're gonna there's gonna be a nice little whine going on for a few months here of them going like no. Hey everybody, don't go away from Facebook. Stay here where I can watch you fight. Come on. <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, uh I don't know. I mean, we, it's kind of funny how far off a uh, topic here we've actually gotten. I know we got into one of my pet topics that makes me blather. Well, and that's the thing, you know, what it, what it kind of made me think was that how long did it did it finally take for us to start talking about hardcore billium? I mean, that poor guy waited right. o- over 10 years, you know. Right. So, you know, the lesbian mother and daughter couple, you know, I don't know. I think they can They're really fresh right now. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, that actually sort of leads into something else. Um, but uh, you and I can actually talk about that off off mic. But uh, uh, as if it, as if the uh, good listeners don't know, uh, where can you be found? I can be found at the Two True Freaks Network, which is coincidentally found at twotruefreaks.com. And I'm on a good portion of the podcast, but we've got just a whole... Oh, my God. And we just added um, um, 
pop culture affidavit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Panarese's podcast, two Tom Panarese podcasts actually. So, our, somebody did a count, and I think we had like thirty-five podcasts, and nineteen of them actually like are coming out regularly, and the rest being sporadic, and like maybe five or six that are just sort of in permanent hiatus or in limbo. <laughs> So we have a lot to choose from Star Trek, Star uh, anything nerd. We, you can find a little bit of it at twotruefreaks.com. You found this at twotruefreaks.com somehow, in some way. <laughs> right, exactly that. All right, well, uh, I can barely keep my eyelids open here, so I'm, I think we I have that effect. <laughs> well, no, it's just it's not so much that. It's just it's been such a kind of a long day. But um, you know, either way, though, better uh, probably better call it a night. So. Well, anyway, thanks, all of you, for listening. And so, uh, bye, everybody. I will see you next week. We are out. Alrighty. Let me stop the recording. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, Please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. 
Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. Mm-hmm.